morning. For those of you who may not know me quite yet, uh, my name is Devin Coleman, uh, the brand spanking new pastoral intern here at Columbia Presbyterian Church. Uh, it's a privilege to be able to come and to share a word with you guys this morning from Psalm 30. But before we begin, let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts, that they might be receptive to your word. And then, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 30. This is God's word. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. i like to preach this morning uh, from the simple title, Joy is Coming. Joy is Coming. And if there's one thing that's certain in this life for God's people is that we will endure hardship. There will be seasons of trials and difficult circumstances for those of us who genuinely name the name of Christ. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ himself has told us in John 16, that in this world you will have trouble. It doesn't say you might have trouble or that there's a possibility of having trouble. He says you will have trouble. And many of us can attest to that bitter truth and perhaps maybe you're that odd person here who says, I mean, I don't, I don't really think I've really gone through much. I haven't really gone through anything. Two things, I'd say first, where were you all last year? And secondly, I'd like to add one simple word on the end, to the end of that sentence, and that's yet. You haven't gone through anything yet. But rest assured, your time will come, and when it does, as it does for all of us, it will be tempting for us to fall into despair, to lose our hope, and to lose joy. But thankfully, God has not left us to ourselves, but he's given us his word for comfort. Particularly, he's given us the Psalms. And this morning, he's given us Psalm 30, written by David, presumably for the dedication of the temple, an event that David himself would not be able to attend due to his death. The Psalm recounts instances in David's life where he has experienced troubles and hardship. There are no direct 
references to any particular events in David's life. Rather, it appears that David is speaking of his general experiences in life as a whole. In this psalm, David recounts various instances throughout the course of his life in which he had experienced trouble. And this trouble for David brought along with it sadness and sorrow, and as you can see in one of the verses, they are weeping. Yet David also recounts the fact that though he had experienced many troubles in his life, each time, David says, the Lord had delivered him. In writing this psalm, David shows us that just as certain as we experience hardship, so will we also experience God's deliverance through that hardship and along with that joy. And there are multiple things that really we could dive into from this psalm of dedication and thanksgiving, but there's one thing that this psalm teaches us in particular that I want to preach on this morning. One thing in this text in particular that I pray the Lord will will use to encourage the saints, and that is this, that though we face many trials in the Christian life, we can be confident that joy is coming. Though we face many trials in the Christian life, we can be confident that joy is coming. So now I know you might be asking yourself, that sounds, you know, that sounds great, preacher, man, uh, but how can you be so confident? How is David so confident to say what he says there in verse 5, that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning? On what basis can he say such a thing? How can he be so sure that joy does indeed come? And more than that, perhaps, how can I How can I be sure of that for myself? How can I be confident that joy is coming? Well, I'm glad you asked. Two things. Firstly, we can be confident that joy is coming because of God's past deliverance. As you'll see there in the text, in verses 1 through 3 and verse 11, David recounts times where the Lord delivered him from his trouble. Look there at verses 1 through 3. What does he say? He says, I will extol you, O Lord. For you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And the testimony of his experience of God's deliverance is David says God had drawn him up. and Did not let his foes rejoice over him. I know you probably know as as good Bible students that throughout his life, David had numerous foes. You can count them on your hand. Well, actually, you can't count them on your hand. It's the Philistines, Goliath, Saul, his own son, Absalom. David's faced many foes throughout his life. And again, it's not clear in this psalm whether or not he's referring to a direct assault from any one of these on this list, but it is clear that God did not let David's enemies have the last word. You see there in another instance, David recounts He was in need of of a healing of sorts, possibly physically, spiritually, or both. But he says, I cried out to the Lord for help. The Lord healed me. The Lord answered David's David's prayer. Then in verse 3, it appears that David was about to be in the grips of death itself. But he says, but the Lord rescued me. He says, oh, Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. David says, I was, I was dying, I was about to take my last breath, but the Lord resuscitated me. 
And I'm sure, perhaps in just listing these few experiences that David had, that you can recall similar situations in your own life. For those of you who are believers, I'm sure you can recall similar situations where God showed up and turned a dire situation around. Maybe you were in a situation where you cried out to the Lord for healing, either for yourself or for someone you know, and the Lord answered that prayer. Maybe you were in a situation or a season of financial struggle, the bills were due, and you didn't know how you were going to quite make ends meet, but the Lord in his gracious providence provided for you. And maybe that hasn't been true for all believers here, yet I know one thing that's true for each and every one of us who have been brought to faith in Christ is that all of us were facing the enemies of death and sin and Satan and the grave. All of us were sin sick. All of us were in need of that healing. We were all on our way down to the fiery pits of hell and the sovereign Lord in his sovereign grace drew us up. He healed us and he restored us back to life. But not only does David recount those instances in verses one through three about God's past deliverances, look there in verse 11. He gives another testimony, doesn't it? He says, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and you've clothed me with gladness. Apparently at some time in David's life, he experienced mourning. Again, there are no direct references to any event in particular in David's life. All we know is that he had experienced this mourning. Maybe he was mourning the loss of a loved one or a friend or one of his children. Maybe he was mourning his sin before God, as we know David often does, either in the Psalms or in the recounts of his life in the book of Kings and Samuel. But either way, he was in a state of extreme sorrow and sadness, and he testifies that the Lord turned his mourning into dancing. He testifies that though he'd gone through a period of mourning, the mourning was eventually turned by the Lord into dancing. Notice he doesn't say his mourning was simply turned into, you know, quietness and peace and tranquility, although that would be true. No, he says the Lord goes above and beyond and turns mourning into dancing. Dancing is an expression of great joy. It's as if David is saying when God transformed the mourning, He didn't just put me back into a state of non-sadness, but he gave me great joy. David goes on to say to the Lord, you've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Sackcloth, sackcloth, excuse me, was a piece of clothing worn during times of great mourning for the people of Israel. And David, speaking figuratively, says the Lord took that off of him. The Lord took off David's sackcloth of sadness and he gave him a garment of gladness. Have you ever experienced such a a moment in your life where it was as if you were clothed with gladness or clothed with mourning and it was like the Lord just kind of took that off of you and placed on you a cloak of gladness? And if you have, then you know that Just as he did it once, the Lord can indeed do it again. And I think this is why David can say what he says in the middle of the psalm about joy coming with the morning. You see, David's previous experiences of how God 
had taken care of him and delivered him and brought him out with gladness and joy gives him the confidence this time to say that joy does indeed come for the saints. If I can use a, perhaps a, maybe a broken analogy here, it won't exactly fit, but it's like when a, you know, a bank or a financing company sees the history of how you paid your bills on time or you paid your payments on time, and it gives them confidence that you will make good on your promise to repay the loan. Well, when we as believers look back on God's faithfulness in the past, it gives us confidence that God will make good on his promises in the future, including his promise to give us joy. As you know, experience is not everything. As you know, our experience of God's deliverance, while it's, it's one reason that we can be confident or that David was confident as to why joy was coming, it was not his ultimate reason, was it? There's some perhaps who may be in a trial that's so severe that maybe looking back doesn't necessarily give them such confidence that things will be right in the future or even right now. Plus, admittedly, we know experience just isn't enough. There's no guarantee necessarily that just because something happened in the past that we can be absolutely sure that it will happen again in the future. So experience cannot be the ultimate reason for our confidence that joy is coming. And so David gives us another reason as to why we can have such confidence. Look there at verse 4 where he calls on the congregation to sing along with him. What does he say? He encourages the congregation. He says, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, he says, but joy comes with the morning. You see, it's what David says there at the beginning of verse 5 that gives him the confidence to say what he says at the end of verse 5. It's because of the eternal favor of God that ultimately we can be sure that joy is coming. I'll say it again. Ultimately, we can be confident that joy is coming because of the eternal favor of God. David says God's anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. I know some translations say in his favor is life, but either way, it doesn't take away from the fact that an obvious contrast is being made here between God's anger and God's favor. One is temporal, one is for lasting forever. And if you're a believer, then let's deal with the anger part for a second. If you're a believer, then you, you do know what it's like to be under the chastening hand of God. And I can't spend too much time on this, but I would like to say a few things in order for us to better see the contrast when he talks about favor. So if you're a believer, you know there's a, there are times when you are under the disciplining rod of God. And often it is because of the sin in our lives. And no, this is fatherly discipline. It's not condemnatory. It's not one of condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Um, but the writer of Hebrews does let us know, quoting from Proverbs, that the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. So for believers, this anger from God is disciplinary, but it doesn't change the fact that even though it's disciplinary and it's momentary, that it's often painful. 
It's often excruciating. David actually can attest to this discipline himself. If you see there in verses 6 through 10, David actually mentions a moment in his life where he'd become arrogant. He said, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Basically, David was saying, you can't touch me. He knew it was the Lord's favor that had made him to have security, but somehow he became arrogant because of the success. And what was the Lord's response there? What did you see there, what was the Lord's response? He said, you hid your face. And with that, David became dismayed. He experienced terror. David was experiencing the momentary anger of God in the hiding of his face. He goes on to say, verses 8 through 10, how he cried out to the Lord in the unique way that David did. I wish I could actually spend more time on how David actually prays to the Lord. Um, But he cries out to him for mercy. The Lord hears him. But you see, believers do face difficulties sometimes facing to their own sins. And in other times, we face difficulties and we don't know why, like Job. Yet David reminds us in verse 5 that in the grand scheme of things, the trials we face under the hand of God are but temporary. God's favor sticks with us for life. And this is not to, hear me, this is not to trivialize the fact that trials we face sometimes can last for weeks. Trials we face can sometimes last for months. Sometimes they can last for even years. But it is to say that when it's all said and done, we can look back from the perspective of eternity and say, all the trouble was but for a moment, but God's favor has been with me my entire life. In fact, it's safe to say that the contrast in this verse is meant to imply that God's favor is eternal. It seems to be saying more than just, you know, God's anger lasts for a few seconds, whereas, you know, God's favor lasts for a couple years, but they're both confined just to this life. No, it seems the point David is trying to make is that trouble in general, whether brought about by God's displeasure at our sin or God's providential hand, is temporal. Whereas God's favor towards the believer is eternal. John Calvin actually brings it home very nicely saying, he says, talking about the saints, he says, if they weigh therefore his anger and his favor in an equal balance, they will always find it verified that while the former is but for a moment, the latter continues to the end of life. Nay, it goes beyond it. For it's a grievous mistake to confine the favor of God within the boundaries of this transitory life. You see, God's favor is not bound to just this life. In fact, God's favor rested upon his people before they were born, and it will be with them even after they die. And it's because God's favor is eternal that we can say with confidence that weeping may tarry for the night. But joy comes with the morning. Notice David continues with that parallelism. He says God's anger is for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping tarries for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So the first part of both of those sentences lists something that lasts only temporarily or, or tra- that, that are transient. Look there, what David says about weeping. He says it may, it may tarry for the night. And... Uh, I'm learning Hebrew, so I'm really excited for this next part. But the original word that's translated there as tarry actually could be to lodge or to simply pass the night. 
Uh, one commentator says it's as if David calls weeping an overnight guest. He's there for the night, but it's only for a night. It suggests that the presence of weeping is only a passing one. It might stay the night for sure, but when the morning comes, it has to go. When the morning comes, that's when the joy comes. And, and you know why the morning is sure to come again? It's because of the sure favor of God. It's because God's anger is only for a moment that weeping only tarries for the night. And it's because God's favor is for a lifetime that the morning will surely come. And with that morning, the arrival of joy. The eternal favor of God makes the arrival of joy in the life of the believer inevitable. The eternal favor of God makes the arrival of joy in the life of the believer inevitable. Text doesn't say joy might come. Doesn't say joy, it can come. It says joy comes. And it comes with the morning. Let me be clear. I'm not standing up here telling you that tomorrow things in your life are going to be better because they really might not. Like they really, really, really might not. And I'm not here to tell you 2021 is going to be your morning in a metaphorical sense. I think last year should teach us a lesson about that. You might not experience the morning actually in this life. That there is a day when the true morning will come. When, as Paul says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the sound of a trumpet. And the dead in Christ shall rise and we will forever be with the Lord. That true and final morning will come for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. And note the key phrase there, in Christ Jesus. Because if, if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, if you are not in him, if you are not one of his saints, as David refers to them here in this psalm, then everything I just preached about, sadly, is not true for you. In fact, the very opposite is true. You might be experiencing the good life now. Everything might be going your way now. You might even think that you have the Lord's favor, but know that if you are not in Christ, God's anger will burn against you forever in hell. But for those who are in Christ, the one who experienced his father's anger on the cross, the one who did indeed experience the hiding of his father's face, though he committed no sin, you can bet that the morning is coming. Just as sure as Christ himself, after experiencing his suffering, was raised on the third day, so shall we experience a coming joy. And as I close us out this morning, you might be having, or you might have one last question. Yeah, you said joy is coming, but why does it seem that we have to wait so long? Why do we have to wait so long for this joy? That's a question that many of us ask. It's a question that I've asked that I keep asking. But you know, I'm starting to realize that that question doesn't actually solve the problem. It actually won't solve anything. 
Sometimes we can be so focused on why it takes so long for the joy to come that we forget the simple fact that the joy is coming. God has promised us in his word that joy comes with the morning, and if God says the joy comes, then it will come. We need only to wait for it. I'm about to show my age here with this <laughs> closing illustration. Uh, I watch Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> and so some older people may not get this illustration, but I know my college people, millennials, we got it. But anyway, you guys know the final season. Uh, it's season three. Um, Aang's about to face the fire lord. You guys are like, what? Um, so it's the final villain of the show. Aang's about to... Aang's the main character, and he's about to face the final villain of the show, and he's waiting in anxiety. He doesn't know when the guy's going to show up. Where's he going to show up? And there's this giant lion turtle. Yes, a lion turtle. He's like a wise sage thing, but he raises him up, and he places him on top of a mountain, and he's like, I know you're waiting for the guy to come. He's like, I know you're, you're, you're second guessing. You're, you're not sure. He just says, just wait for him. He will come. That's what he says. Wait for him. He will come. And that's what God tells us in this psalm about joy. He says, wait for it. It will come. And it will come, he says, through me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, this encouraging word, Lord, that you have given us for this brand new year, we ask, Lord, that you would give us comfort and encouragement, Lord, that the weeping may tarry for the night. Joy indeed comes with the morning. And we ask until then that we would experience something of that joy even now in Christ our Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.